I'm not saying anything about those. <laughs> um, this is Palm Sunday, that day we celebrate that Jesus came riding in on the donkey. Many proclaimed him as king, but there were also many of those same people later in the week who would say, crucify me, and they were given the choice. And this message is about the cross. And I, you know, we're going to read in our reading in a moment, Galatians 6.14, where Paul shares his passion for the cross. And you know, it's interesting, Friday, we call it Good Friday. Well, at least from Jesus' perspective, there doesn't really seem to be anything good for him. All the suffering and, and then the execution upon a cross. It wasn't good for Jesus, but it was good for us. That is the message. That is the message of hope. That although Jesus suffered, we are the recipients of perfect love. It's amazing that something so beautiful, such unconditional love, could be put in such a horrid frame cross so I, as you stand our verse i just want to have one verse we're going to be focusing luke 23 33 through 43 but for a scripture reading this morning i just want to read one verse and i i, I hope it's a prayer for all of us galatians 6 14 is the verse may i never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Father, as we come today, Lord, it, we think about Jesus entering the city and well, everybody seemed okay with that as they put down their cloaks and as they said, Hosanna in the highest. But by the time Friday arrived, there was a different tune, Lord. There were people who yelled, crucify him, let him go to the cross. And, and just days earlier, they were singing, lift him up in the highest. God, why, why did all of this occur, Lord? It certainly wasn't a good day for Jesus, the man. But Jesus, as God, gave all for us. So it was good for us. So, Lord, as we look at your compassion this morning, just show us, Lord, how much you love the world and we are in that world, that you went to the cross, that we who believe might be given hope in a world that has no hope. So, Father, speak to us as we look at your word. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ for which I have been crucified to the world. And so, Father, we just come to you with that, Lord. We want to be crucified with the one who was crucified for us that we might be servants of the great King and God, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. All right, guys, as we look at this account of Christ, I want us to first notice his compassion toward his condemners. So we're just going to march you through these verses in Luke 23 so I encourage you if you haven't turned there yet to go ahead and turn there and we're going to start here at verse 33 of Luke 23 
and he says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. He said, Father, forgive them. And what is interesting, we often don't point this out when we talk about Jesus' incredible words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say, how in the world can a man who has suffered so greatly, who is hanging on a cross, and now they're hurling insults at him, they are seeking to destroy him in every way. And yet he says, Father, forgive them. But what we often fail to point out is that in the Greek, it's not a one-time, Father, forgive them. The Greek literally indicates to us that he says over and over again, while he suffered, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So when anyone would approach the cross and they would yell at him and they would cuss at him and they would jeer him, he would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When the Roman soldiers would slap him and hit him and mock him, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. When the other Jews would approach him, you deserve to die like this. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he even says today, as we look back at the cross to all of us, when we sin against him, when we break his heart, there is still that attitude of Jesus Christ that says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Notice as he goes on here in verse 35, of our text, he says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. He saved others, let them save himself, as if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. And yet what they don't understand is if he was to come down for the cross, he would not be fulfilling the very reason he was on the cross, to die for us, to be the sacrifice that God demanded and he was the only one who could be that sacrifice. So by them saying, come down from the cross, they were actually asking him to not be who he is. King Jesus. The one who came for that very mission, for that very purpose. It's interesting, that very word, forgive them, it literally means release them. So, What's Jesus saying when they would attack him? He would say, oh, Heavenly Father, release them from murder in the first degree. Because here he is hanging upon a cross. And so he is saying to them, release them. Father, be a, a refuge for them. You see, there, there were certainly those who were out there that didn't intentionally hang Jesus upon that cross. Maybe they were bystanders but they certainly were not crying out for justice for Jesus. He deserved none of this. He committed no crime, and yet here he was as the main criminal in all of the land hanging upon a cross. Now, this idea of release certainly led the people who were at the cross to think of the Jewish tradition of the city of refuge. What would occur in the city of refuge 
is if there was an accidental murder, let's say that something happened and someone was killed and the person did not plan for that to happen, but in this tragic accident, a death occurred, and so the family would be so upset that they would track down this person and they would take justice into their own hands and kill them because of the death of their loved one that this person was involved in. But as tradition said clearly, if that person could make it to the city of refuge in time, he could have a place where he was safe, a place where those who were out to seek revenge could not enter and carry out their revenge. Jesus is the city of refuge. As they were out there and, 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 and they were participants, even if they weren't active in putting him upon the cross, they were guilty. The one place that they could run, the one place that they could find forgiveness, the one place where there is hope is in Jesus Christ, the refuge. He is a refuge for all of us today because none of us are free from guilt. We have all sinned. The Bible clearly says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. We're in that. And yet there is a refuge, there is a place where God's judgment is put upon Christ, not us. That's the whole purpose of the cross. So for those who were his condemners, he said, I'm your refuge. Now, secondly, he offered compassion toward the condemned. Notice in our, our, our text here, and, and we just read it in verse 35, as the people were looking on, they yelled, He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's chosen one, if he is the Messiah. Verse 36, The soldiers also came and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. This was a concoction to be able to dull the suffering and the pain. Uh, Proverbs writes about it in Proverbs 31, verse 6. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Now, on to verse 38 in our text as we walk through the scripture. He says, There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. So what is the crime? The crime in essence is that Jesus, the true king, came to set his people free. And for that, he was placed upon that cross. And the idea is that these insults were constantly being hurled at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Once again, just like I said in him saying they do not know what they do. Lord, forgive them. The same way these insults kept coming at him and toward him. And then on in verses 40 and 41, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? 
we've done wrong, but this man has done nothing wrong. The other criminal, it, it means another who is different. How was he different? Well, two ways this criminal was different, this other criminal. First was his courage. He says, hey, he's done nothing wrong. In other words, this man is sinless. He is the king. He made a declaration that went against the crowd. Uh, we live in a time today where people try to force us to think a certain way and to say a certain message, and if we disagree with that message, then we are considered uh, to not deserve to have a voice today with certain messages. He was in that type of situation as a criminal where others would not give him compassion or listen to him if he went against that common message. And he certainly did as he declared this announcement. Think about it. When Jesus came as a baby, who was it that made the declaration? It was outcasts. It was shepherds. It, it was a group of people that were not even allowed to enter into the temple because they were unclean. They did not follow the common rituals that were necessary in order to enter the temple because of their job. They could not. And yet, the announcement, good news of great joy. Savior's born today in the city of David. It was given to shepherds. And here on the cross, at the end of his earthly life, the message is once again given to an outcast, given to a thief, not someone of respectable honor. He was the one who saw the truth, and he portrayed great courage in doing so. Secondly, I want you to notice the humility of this criminal in verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. It's interesting, in that day, many of the tombstones of the poor would have this word etched upon the tombstone that said, remember me. Well, the hope was simply this. When I die, when I lay in the ground, oh, Messiah, oh God, remember me that I may come into your kingdom, that I may experience your resurrection, Lord. Remember me. And so this thief was making this same plea. Oh, Lord, King of kings, remember me. Remember me. He's going to die very soon upon the cross next to Jesus. And he said, don't forget me, Lord. He could have asked for many things. Uh, I want to place a prominence. I want to place a power. I just want to be remembered, Lord. And Jesus would honor that. I love it. He says, hey, truly today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' great compassion shown to the condemners and shown to those who were condemned. Now, I want to close here. I want to look at four false teachings, doctrines, that Jesus shatters in this text of Scripture. The first one simply is the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. There are some churches that believe you cannot be saved if you are not baptized. Salvation and baptism are linked. Unless you're baptized, forget it. Well, certainly Jesus isn't teaching this here. He, he doesn't say, hey, can some of you guys come over here? We need to get this guy off the cross and... We need to baptize him in the water. Or, or does anybody have a way, you know, maybe we can even sprinkle him, come over here with a jug and 
put it on his head because we want to make sure that he gets into paradise today. Well, he did none of that. The one requirement was believe me, which is what he did. Secondly, second false doctrine is salvation by works. Now look, what could this guy do? There was no church of the crucifixion that he could join. And he certainly couldn't walk down to the altar if there was an altar. I mean, the guy's nailed to the cross. His hands and his, and his feet, his legs are, are nailed to the cross. So he, he couldn't make that kind of show. He, he couldn't join any committee or, or team in that church. He couldn't give a certain amount of money in order to show how faithful he was to God. There was nothing that he could give or do in order to earn paradise, in order to go to heaven, except... Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Third, the third doctrine Jesus shatters is this idea of soul sleep. There are some, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, that believe that when you die and you're in the ground, you just go to sleep until the appropriate time when you'll be awakened. That's not what the Scriptures teach. The Scriptures teach the absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus said, you're not going to be with me after a long nap. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So our hope with Jesus Christ, there's not this timeline where we're going to sleep until we're in his presence. But as we pass through the door we know is death, we enter in his presence to be with Christ. And one last doctrine he shatters and that is the doctrine of purgatory. The idea with purgatory is that you are forgiven of your sins, but there are some pesky sins that won't keep you uh, particularly out of heaven just by themselves, but we got to make sure that you uh, are purified, that you pay some price and are cleaned up enough to make it into heaven. So when you die, there is this place where trials occur in order to make sure that you are purified enough to make that journey on into heaven, to go directly into God's presence. But he said, hey, today you will be with me. There's not a waiting period where there's trials and there's sufferings and there's some work that has to be done in your life in order for you to enter God's presence. Because it is not based upon our work, what we have done or what we haven't done. It's the cross. The compassion of Christ is because of the cross of Christ that has been given fully to us. There, it says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have just been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace that comes is through Jesus Christ that was won at the cross. Now, as we go on here in our text, um, we read, this is from Mark 15, 33, that, that darkness fell over the land. And what was the picture of darkness? Of course, as you, you go back to the ten plagues that are listed um, that the Jewish people went through before they were able to be set free from Pharaoh's grasp, there was this plague of darkness that was sent. And now there's darkness once again, which is a reminder of what Jesus faced, which is the cup of wrath. You see, it wasn't just the physical suffering 
that was placed upon Jesus that was such a nightmare? It was the cup of wrath, and the cup of wrath is simply our sins. What has alienated us, separated us from the living God. And when that darkness fell, it was a picture of the extent of what had really been placed upon Jesus Christ. Our sins. What has broken God's heart and what has kept us from being friends with the living God, being restored in a right relationship with God. All of that was placed upon Jesus Christ. The judgment that we deserve, that was placed upon Christ and that was suffering greater than even the physical suffering that he experienced in the scourging and upon being nailed to the cross. That suffering was representative of that darkness. But the darkness was lifted. Christ said, it is finished, not I am finished. That work was completed. And the perfect sacrifice gives us perfect hope and forgiveness through that cross. You see, Jesus, he came from heaven to build a bridge to us. The bridge was in a cross. Listen to this poet as I close. The foot of the cross touched earth, declaring that God had moved to touch man. The top of the cross pointed heavenward, as if to tell men, now there's a way to heaven, to the kingdom. The arms of the cross stretched outward, as if to plead with men, whoever will may come. This includes even me, even you. Have you been to the cross? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we want to recognize it was not good for Jesus on that day of crucifixion, but oh, he was good. And his perfect goodness allows us, Lord, not only to go to heaven, and I don't want to diminish how great that is, but to be made who we're supposed to be now, too. You accomplished all that through Calvary, and thus we call it Good Friday. So, Father, I pray if there is anyone here who has not made that decision, that commitment yet to cling to the cross, to take glory not in our, our personal achievement, but in the cross. What a great day to say, Jesus, I want to believe in you. I want your sacrifice to cover me that God's judgment may be released from me and the perfect work of Jesus take that place in my life. So God, just work among us in a time we call invitation. Father, may we just follow your invite to come to you whether it's at the altar or to decide right where we are, it's time to follow Jesus. May that occur, Lord. For those of us who have trusted the cross, Father, may each and every day take us back to your sacrifice and that we may live in that power instead of wallow in wine in our own weakness. So, Lord, have your way. In Christ's name we pray.